Thank you, children, so much for singing so beautifully for us today and leading us in worship. We greatly appreciate that. Erica and I lamented for just a moment the fact that we're now at a stage in life in which we don't have a child in the children's choir. That's a little sad. We do have our little baby that's soon to be there, but she's going to be a few more years, so it's a little sad. I'll tell you a funny story. Erica and I, the kids, we went to the LSU basketball game the other day. Erica went back to the game Friday night. I wasn't there, and the LSU police came to her and said, hey, we'd like to talk to you. May we talk with you? Because at the game, the following few days before that, Erica and Anna sat separate from Ella and, and me. So the LSU police come to her Friday night and say, may we talk with you? And she said, sure. So they bring her up and down the hallway and get her in the back and say, ma'am, we had three separate reports. Is this little girl yours? And Erica said, yes. We had three separate reports that she was with an older man. <laughs> Erica said, that older man is my husband. <laughs> so I don't know what gets you out of the age of, uh, you know, having kids uh, in, in children's choirs, that, that you're too old or that you just simply don't have a, a kid in that age. Perhaps in my case, it's maybe both. That will humble you, right? Well, I'm also thankful for our children. One of the things that we love so much about our children, particularly during Pastor Appreciation Month, is the notes that they write and thank you to a number of our Sunday school teachers who do such a marvelous job encouraging them. And one of our families handed me this note from, from their son this morning and he wrote me a note and expression appreciation. I'm thankful for you because you preach for us at church for two and a half hours about the Bible. <laughs> thank you. What a wonderful note. Two and a half hours. Praise the Lord, right? Well, let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 8, as we continue our way through this narrative of Scripture, reflecting on this, these plagues, the story of these plagues. You remember that Israel has now been down in Egypt for 430 years. They've been in slavery, and they cried out to the Lord in Exodus chapter 2 and verses 23 and 24, and the Lord, the Bible tells us that God, Yahweh, heard the cries of, of his people. And we have seen this narrative now as the Lord has tasked Moses and Aaron with the responsibility of going before this all-powerful dictator and deity and proclaiming to him let my people go so that they may worship me, so that they may serve me. But you're aware of the narrative. Pharaoh isn't too keen on allowing his Hebrew slaves freedom to go out into the desert and to worship the Lord. And so we have seen this narrative now of the plagues that have started the intended purpose of the plagues is to display the glory and might and power of, of God to Pharaoh, to Egypt, and ultimately to you and me. And so we come to this text today in this second narrative of the, of the plagues. The 
plague of the frogs. And hear how the Bible begins this narrative in chapter 7, verse 25. Seven full days. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. We've seen this language already of the striking of the Nile. If you go back up to chapter 7, verse 17, God has already proclaimed, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike. Look again at chapter 7, verse 20. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and did what? Struck the water in the Nile. Whatever is taking place in this narrative by the use of this language, our author is reminding us this morning, Moses is reminding us this morning that there is one deity who is in control of this entire narrative, and Pharaoh is not he. God. Yahweh. Our Lord reigned supreme over this narrative. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. And then what happens? Verse, chapter 8, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may worship. Or some of your Bibles translate that word serve. Let them go so that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all of your country with frogs. And the Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all of your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. You might be wondering why in the world in this second plague do we have this narrative of frogs? I mean, maybe you think a whole host of other items could have been chosen, but why in the world frogs? It would seem that the way in which the narrative of these plague narratives have been woven together by Moses Moses is showing us at every turn that God reigns supreme, and primarily God reigns supreme over any and every deity among the Egyptians. We noted last week with the Nile, the Nile was thought to be controlled by a god itself, and, and the Lord struck the Nile, and it turned into blood, and we saw there that the Lord himself controls the Nile. And this week there was a, a goddess, a frog goddess, and she bore two primary responsibilities in Egypt. First, she was the spouse 
this frog goddess was the spouse of the creator God. And she bore responsibility for two things. First and foremost was to control the frog population in Egypt. She primarily did that by making sure the crocodiles were healthy. So the crocodiles would eat the frogs and the frogs wouldn't be a plenty. But another responsibility that was hers was to breathe life into the people that the Creator God had made. See, it was an understanding in Egyptian theology that this, that this Creator God would mold people on the will, on, 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 at the potter's will. And as he molded these people made there at the potter's will, then this frog goddess would breathe life into them and hence make them a living, breathing person. So there's a lot of significance tied to this understanding of frogs taking over the entirety of the land of Egypt. Why? Because as we'll see in just a few moments, God is going to remind us that even this frog goddess has zero, no power over creation. This text reminds us, this text teaches you and me that true repentance does not flow from earthly discomforts. True repentance does not flow from earthly discomforts. True repentance flows from godly sorrow. And there's a problem for Pharaoh. He doesn't express godly sorrow. So you've read this text, Moses and Aaron. The text is going to start, are going to live out this commission that we see over and over in these plague narratives. They're going to go before Pharaoh and make this same command, let the people go so that they may come out and serve God. The implication is they've been serving the wrong God. They've been serving Pharaoh now for, for 430 years. And now the true creator God, Yahweh himself, desires that these people, his people, would find freedom in himself to come before him and serve the one true living God. So Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. The Lord wants the people to serve him. And oh, by the way, if you don't let the people of go, we are going to send frogs where? Everywhere. We're going to send frogs into every place. In fact, if you read Psalm 105, as the psalmist is recounting these wonderful works of God, the psalmist reminds us that the frogs were even in the king's house. This is what this text says. Whereas in the first plague, the water turning into blood, Pharaoh seemed to, to not be affected by that. We know from that text that people would have to go and dig shallow wells to get the water. So more than likely, Pharaoh had water provided for himself. Clearly, his bathing was more than likely interrupted in some measurable way. But notice what this plague tells us. Pharaoh, you will not escape the judgment 
of an all-knowing, all-powerful God. The text tells us, Pharaoh, even you will bear the judgment of God. There's going to be frogs everywhere. Verse 4, the frogs will come upon you and all of your servants. So God uses the same means. Aaron, stretch out your hand. Aaron stretches out his hand with a rod, and the Bible tells us that these frogs come up and cover the land of Egypt. But there's a group of people, there are a group of actors in this text that have been acting thus far all along. They begin their acting careers even before we get to the first plague. For you remember the first sign that God gave to, Moses, gave to Pharaoh was telling Moses to throw down his rod, and his rod becomes a snake, and the Egyptians do the same thing by the use, the Bible says, of their magic arts. And what happened last week? Moses and Aaron tap the water with strike the water of the Nile, and the water becomes blood. But the Bible tells us that the Egyptians were able to replicate this through their magical arts yet again. And look what happens. These same dramatists show up again. Verse 7, But the Egyptians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Will Pharaoh finally pay attention? Does God at this moment finally have Pharaoh's attention? Will Pharaoh finally obey God? Verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. What joyful news! If you're Moses and Aaron, you already don't like the task that has been given to you. You've tried on several occasions to get away from having to go before Moses, sorry, before Pharaoh, and say to him, let my people go. So now you can imagine the excitement that must be in Moses and Aaron's heart. It seems as though Pharaoh is acknowledging that he has made a mistake, that he has sinned. He's acknowledging God's superiority and reign. He's asking for the one person who can bring relief to provide it. This is exciting news. Verse 9, Moses says to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. Moses is so showing a sense of respect toward Moses, to for, toward Pharaoh. Be pleased to command me, Moses says. I'm not trying to show you up, in other words, Moses is saying. I, I, I really take no pleasure in what's 
taking place here. I'm, I'm honored, Moses is saying. I'm thankful, Moses is saying, that, that you're going to respond. Uh, tell me, Pharaoh, when, when do you want this to take place? I will gladly go intercede on your behalf before the Lord. Look what the Bible says in verse 10. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. And Moses says, be, as, be it is as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. And notice verse 12. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. Now we read this text, and we can't quite comprehend. Why in the world would Pharaoh make a plea with Moses that the day, the moment for the Lord to provide a sense of relief from this devastation be tomorrow. You think you know why, buddy? He was testing God. Okay, thank you, buddy. Why in the world is Pharaoh saying to Moses, just give me one more day? I think that there are two answers, perhaps, from the text of Scripture that might lend, some might lend some understanding for us. First, it is for sure the case, as we read these narratives, not only this second plague, but we're going to see here in just a few moments down into this third plague, all the way up until Pharaoh chases after the people of Israel and they cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh has a stubborn heart set in rebellion against God. And friends, that statement is true about every person whose heart is set in opposition to God. The fact of the matter is, for the person who has not repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, Fear of letting go. Fear of relinquishing control of our own lives. Fear of acknowledging that there is someone greater than me. Fear of acknowledging that there is someone who actually is more powerful than I am. Perhaps the case is Pharaoh, because of his own heart, because of his stubbornness, because of the hardness of his heart, was willing to allow one more day to go in rebellion against God. And for some of you this morning, that's your heart's posture before God. You've heard the testimony of Scripture. 
You've heard the word of God. You even participate in some measurable way in the life of this church. Perhaps you've been doing that for a really long time. But for that one area in your life, you say, God, just give me until tomorrow and let me see if the effects will pass. But see, friends, the consequence, the consequences of my sin and your sin do not pass. My rebellion against God, your rebellion against God, your rebellion against God even at this very moment will always carry with it divine consequences. But I also think there's another narrative in this text. What's Moses' response to Pharaoh? Does Pharaoh, does Moses say something like, what in the world is wrong with you, dude? Like, what are you thinking? Tomorrow? Like, you want to sleep another night in your bed with frogs? By the way, we tend to think of beds in our own Western culture. In this culture, people were not sleeping in beds like what you and I think of as beds. Primarily, they were sleeping on a floor. Maybe Pharaoh, obviously he's a god. He can't quite sleep on the floor, right? He needs a little, some type of mattress, maybe made of straw. But it have been an easy place for the frogs to, to crawl, crawl upon, to hop on. But we don't see Moses' response in this way. Moses isn't, according to the text, necessarily scratching his head. Notice Moses' response again. Verse 10, Moses says, Be it as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frog shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went away. They went out from Pharaoh. By the way, the last plague narrative, where was the scene? The bank of the Nile. This plague narrative, where is the scene? Right up in Pharaoh's quarters. Right in Pharaoh's face. So Moses and Aaron, they're going to leave. And notice what the Bible says, verse 12, and Moses cried out to the Lord. It seems that there's an understanding, at least from Moses and perhaps for Pharaoh himself, that Moses and Aaron would have to go away for a period of time and intercede on behalf of Pharaoh in the situation. Let's just be honest. A narrative of intercession that takes more than 30 seconds, we don't quite have an appetite for that, do we? In fact... Let's show up for a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday afternoon. Let's just be honest. Whether the prayer meeting takes place at church or 
at night in your own house. We don't know much about pleading with the Lord in an elongated period of time asking for God to respond on behalf of our prayers. But this text indicates that at least for Moses and Aaron, they understood that they were going to have to go out and get before the Lord and make intercession on behalf of the situation. And perhaps Pharaoh himself knew that a period of time would have to take place for Moses and Aaron to get before the Lord and to plead with God, to ask the Lord to respond in a favorable way toward the Egyptians. Friend, how long are you willing to pray for something? How much time are you willing to give to the Lord? We live in a fast-paced culture. We want fast food, and we complain if we have to wait at Chick-fil-A more than three minutes or at McDonald's more than 30 minutes. We like popcorn microwave, and I could continue to go on and on. And we like popcorn religion. See, for many of us, Jesus truly is that genie in a bottle that I rub for a moment in a period of trouble, and he pops out to answer my question. And when he does, I put him back. We have little appetite of really placing ourselves before the Lord and begging of the Lord for response and begging of God for forgiveness. Moses and Aaron go before God and they make intercession on behalf of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And look what verse 13 says. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. See, friends, the narrative of this plague reminds us that God responds to the cries of his people. We don't serve a God who is disconnected from those that he has created. We serve a God who is intimately connected with those that he has created. And when you and I pray according to the will of God, God answers. Now sometimes God doesn't always answer. The text here would seem to indicate that God is answered, answering in a rather quick fashion. But notice what the text says. They go out of the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Now, to get to the point where frogs start stinking, it isn't immediately following death. There's got to be a period of time. The narrative is showing us literally that frogs covered every ounce of Egypt, so much so they had to go out and collect them 
And it seems from the text of Scripture that this took place over the course of several days, such that these heaps of frogs began to reek. They began to stink. And we think, this is how it ought to work. I live my life in rebellion against God. I'm confronted with my sin. I cry out to the Lord, and he responds. And then I say, God, I'm going to respond now the following days with my life in obedience to you. By the way, that's a cycle that probably happens over the course of numerous times in a given day. We're thankful. The culmination of Moses' and Aaron's ministry, it's coming to an end. Or is it? Verse 14, excuse me, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, what happened? He hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord said. See, friends, Pharaoh was willing to display what seemed to be genuine repentance. But what we learn is Pharaoh was not displaying genuine repentance. Pharaoh was displaying a disdain for the earthly discomforts that his sin brought himself. And at the moment in which those earthly discomforts faded, Pharaoh went right back into rebellion and disobedience to God. It's easy to cast judgment on Pharaoh, is it not? How can you not see Pharaoh? What are you missing? It seems very clear to us. But when I have to deal with my own life, let's just be honest, it seems far less clear. When I have to deal with Lewis, I find out that I am in some ways exactly like Pharaoh. Lord, just one more day. Just one more moment. Do I really have to go and apologize for my outburst of anger at my workforce before my colleagues? Lord, this is going to be so humiliating. I'll do it tomorrow. God, just one more click of the mouse or on this, on this smartphone, just one more click of the wrong website, and tomorrow I will stop it. Just one more year of cheating on my taxes. and I'll fix it next year. Just one more day, God, of not passionately following you. Just one more moment of, 
of not sharing the gospel. Tomorrow I'll tell my neighbor about Christ. Just one more day. But we learn from this narrative that godly sorrow is the only thing that will lead to repentance in my life and your life, no matter how great, how large the evidence. Look what happens in this next plague. Verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Have you ever tried to play baseball standing in the outfield with gnats swarming in your face that you can't even see the baseball and no matter how many times you swat at them, they're right back in your face? Stretch out your staff and strike the dust so that it becomes gnats. Verse 17, and they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. But notice verse 18. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Do you see that next word, that conjunction in your Bibles? But. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord said. Jesus begins his earthly ministry in the Gospel of John, and the entire narrative of John is woven around these scenes of miracles. At least seven miracles in the book of John, in which Jesus, in large measure, performs a miracle. And he performs these signs, these miracles, so that people may believe in him. And so we see this, this first miracle, the wedding feast at, at Canaan, and Jesus cleanses the temple. And you might, you might think that even after one miracle, turning water into wine, and then they see the power and might and authority of Jesus in the context of the synagogue, that that would have elicited faith in the heart and lives of those watching Jesus' miracles. But listen what John, the narrator, says to us following Jesus' first miracle. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. See, friends, some of you have seen evidence after evidence after evidence 
of God's might and God's power, and yet you still live your lives in rebellion against God. You've seen the testimony of the text of Scripture. You've seen God's work in, in another person's life and transforming them from being one lost in rebellion against God to one who joyfully accepts Christ as Lord and Savior. And yet, against the weight of all of these expressions of God's might and power, you remain today, at this moment, in rebellion against God. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, pens these words. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Would you repent this morning? Would you trust in Christ today? Friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, you've never acknowledged Him as Lord, you've never confessed to Him that you are a sinner, that you need to be rescued from your own sin. Would you hear the testimony of Scripture? And repent. Trust in Christ. Give Him your life. Give up the pleasures of this world to gain the joy of knowing Christ. Or how about for those of us who have trust in Christ? We have repented of our sins and acknowledged Him as Savior. But yet, in some ways, still unwilling to obey Christ and all that He's commanded. Of what do you need to repent this morning of, friend? What area in your life is, if you will, plaguing you this morning for which you need to go to God now and say to Him, Lord, forgive me. I desire to honor You with my life. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank You for Your kindness to us. We thank You for the revelation of Your Word. We thank you, God, that you still today are calling sinners to faith in Christ, and you're still calling us 
as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to walk faithfully with you on a daily basis. So God, we ask you now for you to work in our hearts, in our lives. In such a way, God, that we desire to walk faithfully with you. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and reflect and respond on the preaching of God's word? For those of you who are believers today, what areas of your life need refining? What areas of your life do you need to seek God in repentance? Over arrogance, pride, gossip, sexual immorality, hatred, bitterness, Would you ask God to show you by His Spirit those areas now? Would you confess them this morning as sin? Friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, and hear these words of Scripture, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, God, by His Spirit and through His Word, will change your life. If you'll confess your need for him, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord, if you will acknowledge your sins. In just a moment, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. And as we sing, friend, if you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. And as we sing, please feel free to come forward and and speak with one of us. We'll delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward and speak to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, for there are plenty of people around you who would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, maybe you'd like for one of us just to pray with you. Maybe there's an area in your life that you know you need God's work in. And you'd like for us to pray with you that you would humble yourself before God, that you would desire to walk faithfully with Him, that you would seek repentance. It would be our delight to shepherd your hearts by praying for you that you might walk faithfully with God. Or thirdly, friend, maybe... God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, may our responses be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you say-